Alleluia, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Beloved of God, grace to you and peace from God, our Maker, and from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I hear the Old Testament reading for today, I feel like I've wandered into someone else's dream. There are elements of that scene I recognize, but much of it is murky and strange and just beyond my comprehension, as dreams tend to be. But what makes that story from Genesis even stranger is that Jacob is wide awake. In fact, he seemed to have had a case of insomnia, anxiety, and sleeplessness brought on by the startling news that he was about to be reunited with his brother Esau. You may remember that the brothers had had a very complicated relationship they had been estranged for many years at the time of our reading today, ever since Jacob swindled Esau out of his inheritance. Jacob possessed that natural set of talents that lent themselves to deceit. He was clever, ambitious, shrewd, and he didn't get bogged down by ethical concerns. In order to get what he wanted, he didn't mind stealing from his brother, or playing his old blind father for a fool. Jacob had mastered the art of the con. Well, almost mastered it. He may have forgotten that Esau had a natural set of talents himself. He was bigger, stronger, and as a hunter, very skilled with a knife. So when Esau threatened to kill Jacob, it was not an idle threat. Jacob ran away into the wilderness, far away from his brother, far away from his home. It was in the wilderness that God first appeared to Jacob in a dream. 
God blessed him and called him with words very similar to those with which God called Abraham. I will give you descendants and land. Through you, the people of the earth will be blessed. I will be with you on your journey, and I will watch over you. I have to admit I'm a little puzzled by God's choice. Were not there any honest, kind, loyal people in Canaan to choose and to bless? Is it fair that Jacob, a blessing stealer, should be one on whom divine blessing is freely bestowed? Years passed, maybe 20, and finally God told Jacob that it was time to go home. He was excited by the prospect, except any trip home meant facing Esau and meant facing up to the grief and the suffering that he had caused his family. You can try to run away from your past, but until you make peace with it, it tends to catch up with you. In this case, literally, Esau literally caught up with Jacob. And when Jacob got the word that his brother was approaching with 400 men, he was terrified. He secured his family, and he began his night vigil on the banks of the Jabbok River. It was there, during this vigil, that a man appeared and began to wrestle with Jacob. He didn't recognize the man at first. Was it Esau or one of his men? He wasn't sure, but he engaged full force. And slowly as the night wore on, Jacob came to recognize his wrestling companion as God. He was wrestling with God. Are we allowed to do that? In God's presence, aren't we supposed to fall down onto our knees and say, your will be done? Not Jacob. He was working something out with God. He was working something out in himself, and he stuck with it all night. I will not let you go unless you bless me, Jacob said to God. He thought he was going to die, and the only thing he had left was God's promise to him, God's blessing. He was not letting go, not giving in, until he knew this blessing was secure. He hung on to God's promise as if his life depended on it. It's a pretty muscular portrayal of faith, isn't it? Not docile or passive, and I'm drawn to it. I think we have a tendency to forget that in our relationship with God, we are to show up with our whole selves, our fears, our flaws, our regrets and complaints, our hopes and our dreams. We bring it all to God. Sometimes this relationship is like a wrestling match. We wrestle with who God is, with what God's promises really mean. In a world so obviously broken, so tragically missing the mark of God's justice, a little wrestling seems appropriate, doesn't it? It is the result of being awake, awake to the realities around us. Like Jacob, we take God's promises seriously. 
promises of justice and forgiveness, reconciliation and peace, the promise that no matter how complicated or messy life gets, God will be a blessing to us. Wrestling with God is not a sign of a lack of faith. In fact, it is a form of prayer it may not be the quiet, serene type of prayer we imagine. More like the persistent, tenacious prayer of the widow in our gospel text. She is wrestling with that judge, demanding justice, holding him to the covenant of the law. And Jesus points to her as a model of prayer. We are invited to bring our questions, our struggles, our doubts, even our anger to God. All the stuff that we think is too dark for God to love. The stuff that we leave at the door of the church because everybody here looks so nice and so holy. But the thing is, God meets us in those dark places. God can work with that. God comes to us in our confusion, in our fear, in our guilt, in our sin, and joins us in the struggle, in those difficult places and from those difficult circumstances, God brings blessing. As Christians, I suppose it should be no surprise that God meets us in our fragile shadow places. The central story of our tradition is God's presence on a cross an instrument of death. At Jesus' crucifixion, it seemed that the violence and sin of humanity had crushed any spark of divine grace. But even there, in that dark place, the grace and mercy of God prevailed. A rejected God did not reject, but remained steadfast, steadfast to the covenant, steadfast to the promise of forgiveness and undying love. It is this steadfast love and forgiveness that holds us through all of our wrestling, all of our internal struggles, our struggles with faith and with being the people God has called us to be. Joined to Christ Jesus, we are held by God in every circumstance, promised that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I would say thanks be to God and call it a sermon, but it's important to remember how this brotherly reunion turned out. When Esau found Jacob, a worn and frightened man, he ran to his brother and he threw his arms around him and he wept. Esau wasn't interested in revenge only reconciliation. Jacob collapsed into his brother's arms with overwhelming gratitude. To see your face, Jacob told Esau, is to see the face of God because you have received me so graciously. This is the power of God in our lives, the power of a divine love so tenacious.